spring training is right around the corner. So come for the games and have a ball in Arizona. With world-class resorts, unbeatable dining and nightlife, amazing scenery, and endless outdoor adventure. Make your visit unforgettable. Plan your getaway at myspringtraining.com. You know those times in the day when you can't fit in a full podcast? Running out to the store, walking the dog, or washing the dishes? Jam is the new way to listen when you have just enough time for the perfect short audio playlist. Get started at listentojam.com slash podcast and get your daily Jam playlist filled with more voices in less time. With Jam, you can choose from news, parenting tips, wellness advice, and more. Go to listentojam.com slash podcast and satisfy your curiosity with short audio. Discover something new every day. You're listening to the Bay to Bay Network. <laughs> Nothing's going your way. You've had a bad day. It's good to keep it simple. Michelle and Seth say take a deep breath. From fade to gray, it's mental. Welcome back, everybody, to Mental with your co-hosts, myself, Michelle Collins, and Seth Showalter. Say hi, Seth. Hey there. And we are jumping back into our series on body dysmorphia. Mm -hmm. And as many of you may or may not know, you should have listened by now. And if you haven't, go back and listen. But we have been talking about body dysmorphia, and then last week we kind of went into some of the disorders that may be comorbid with mm-hmm. body dysmorphia. And so what are we talking about today, Seth? Well, first, first I got to go back for a second. Oh, okay. Because okay. I think our last episode, when we really unpacked the diagnosis of body dysmorphia, I think it's the most clinical episode we'd ever produced. Very much so. Yeah. And... I'm almost certain that when we recorded, it did not pull the audio from my mic. It pulled it from my headphones. Hint, you will notice a major decrease in sound quality in that episode. (laughs) Ironic (laughs) that the most clinical episode we put out happens to be I don't have good audio, but you know, whatever. Look, you either you either get clinical or you get precision on the technical side. You can't get both. No, it's it's one or the other. So <laughs> that's okay. We opened up that conversation and I, I really I re-listened to it and I actually found it interesting. I was like, oh, this sounds good. Well, you're a mental health provider, so Well yeah. I it, it was <laughs> I think it was very educational. And as Michelle mentioned, we unpack the diagnosis in that episode, but then we also look at these areas of potentially differential diagnoses of mental health concerns and looking at comorbid symptoms and things of that nature. And so one of the things we unpacked, or I always say unpacked, one of the things we discussed (laughs) uh, was obsessive compulsive behavior. And we really kind of looked at that. Um, It was mentioned as a, you know, a differential diagnosis. And because of that, I think it does go with body dysmorphia quite a bit. So I think it's a valid discussion for us to have just to kind of center this in on uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. Yeah, I agree. I I will go so far as to say this, though. 
depending on the series that we do, the different things that we talk about, there's going to be a large amount of crossover. And I think we discussed that last week, that there are a lot of different things within the DSM that actually are comorbid with other disorders. Mm -hmm. So if we talk about obsessive compulsive here, or if we talk about in another series, anxiety in some form, that doesn't mean that's the only time we're ever going to discuss those things because they do cross over into other disorders. And we want to make sure that we're associating those uh, and discussing them from that perspective. So in this case, obsessive compulsive disorder, honestly, is something that we could probably do a series on or have it included in a series on anxiety or, or whatnot. I'm just mm -hmm. guessing here. But mm -hmm. in this context, we are using it uh, as it pertains to body dysmorphia, and we'll try and find the correlations there. Um, so I just wanted to mention that because I think that's important. Yes. But before we get to this, let's do the middle minute. And I'm making you go first. <laughs> I am not surprised <laughs> on multiple levels. Uh, so this, I knew you wouldn't this, be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's been a good week. It's been a good week. I'm, I will say that I've been entertained by the political scene right now. I know we <laughs> don't want to get into politics, but truly, it it's to the point. It's entertainment. It is. <sighs> It's terrifying entertainment. Yes, but terrifying it's, entertainment. <laughs> it's entertainment nonetheless. <laughs> uh, dueling debates this week. Oh, they, yes. sorry. They were not debates. They were town halls. Town halls. Because That's we right. We, we can't do the debate because we're too embarrassed. So anyhow, <laughs> uh, so that's been fun. Um, I've gotten to spend some time with some friends uh, recently. Again, I, I have it set up with because of COVID. I have it set up in circles. So mm -hmm. like I have specific groups of people that I spend time with uh, and those are the only people I, I really see. And then if one of us gets, you know, if one of us has a positive diagnosis and we all get tested, but we all kind of stay within a certain right. you know, amount of people. And, and so that's, it was good to see them. Um, we had a drinking night. It was fun. A good time <laughs> had by all. And... I know I'm you mental minute. I'm supposed to like ask me a question. What do you want to know? Well, I, I don't know that I need to know anything. I did want to make an observation though. I noticed that your kitty cats seem to be a little bit better about one another. Don't be deceived. They <laughs> They're fooling us. They are <laughs> they fooling me. They fooled me. <laughs> I was totally fooled and proven that I was fooled this morning. They oh. are indeed getting along better in that they're able to remain in a room without attacking one another That's most good. of the time. They, I've literally even had them laying on the bed at the same time and they didn't kill each other. I've had them sitting one in this in a bed that's right next to me or like a little cat bed next to another in my lap, just like six inches apart from one another and mm -hmm. they've been fine. However, this morning... <laughs> <laughs> I I came in, I got my coffee, I'm sitting down at work and I'm getting things pulled up and all of a sudden I hear like this massive, like not massive, but I hear this noise, this rumbling and it's some hissing and I'm like, what is going on? And I walk out there <laughs> and Lizzie is hiding underneath the chair and Manelli is, Aww. her tail is like massive and she is swatting <laughs> you know at lizzie underneath the chair and the ironic part in this story is minelli doesn't have claws and lizzie does <laughs> so i think minelli's got she a very... also recognizes she recognizes authority though however apparently <sighs> apparently but i i think minelli 
she doesn't really know what she's getting herself into. She's going to do that one more time and, and she's going to get hurt. But, you know, well, then she'll figure it out. Then, I mean, animals are fantastic at, at their relationships. They know. I mean, I think we as, assume or presume how we would handle something onto our animals. We project mm-hmm. <laughs> even onto the animals because I know I'm like constantly like, oh, my dog looks like he feels like this. My dog's just over there doing whatever, you know, licking yeah. his ass or whatever dogs do. And I've projected some emotion onto him. <laughs> You know, so I think we're much more worried about their interactions than they are. They'll figure it out. But I thought it was I thought it was a big increase or a big improvement that I saw them on the screen the other day Mm -hmm. and they were within close proximity of one another. So Mm -hmm. I was like, well, looky there. Yeah. So to me, that seemed like improvement. It is. And I really don't expect these animals to like each other until, you know, two or three months into this. It's only been two weeks. Today is literally week two. Yeah. day i mean it's the day of it's week two right so i mean they're doing quite well for cats i would say that's all right well and they're you know cats are more standoffish if they're dogs they would have already wrestled each other to the floor and there'd have been blood somewhere more than likely but then they they would fight and they'd get over it cats (laughs) like harbor (laughs) they harbor their resentment and their hate and then it comes out in in explosions doesn't that remind you like just in a very generalized sense here please nobody be offended but dogs are like boys you know they just you know they knock each other around they fight it out and then they get over it and move on and cats are more like girls like we hold a grudge we you know hiss at each other from across the room (laughs) i don't know it's just a general impression to me i I know i'm in trouble with somebody do i strike you as someone that gets into fights frequently because i am definitely cat-like i I think i think you're like a a bar brawler i'm positive no No, <laughs> I harbor feelings. That's I gossip. Come on. Okay. Well, look. I said in very general terms. I realize there's mm-hmm. a spectrum of of these things that we all live on. But I'm just saying in general terms. I hear you. It's a fair. Typically, men it's get a, over shit quicker. It's a fair point. <laughs> okay. Well, I there is uh, something else I can talk about. Okay. I'm not going to talk details because it's work related. Okay. So I'm not going to tell mm-hmm. you like any specifics, but I will say this. Okay. That I have a very interesting week coming up and it speaks to kind of the way I operate is oftentimes when there's things I don't know or haven't done before, they seem like mountains. And when I start to right. try to do that, when I start to like take steps towards it, I often get so overwhelmed. I shut down and it doesn't seem possible. And right. and really, like right now, it's just like a lack of real clarity. But I had a meeting with my boss today at the end of the day because I was like, you've got to like, you know, you've got to speak some reason into my brain. And I even told her, I put her on warning. I was like, listen, I've got to swear. So I'm just going to let some swear words out. But <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's, I'm so I apologize. She was cool with it. But I, and anyhow. Is coming up next week that I have to develop a training program for a new implementation of a major account that's coming on board. And the implementation has not gone the way that I would have liked it uh, in regards to kind uh-huh. of knowing what's happening. So I'm kind of, right. it feels like I'm going to develop a training plan by like grabbing, you know what I'm saying? Like duct taping mm-hmm. the thing together. And, and that's <laughs> not really how I like to do things. And so... Yeah, I just, yeah, I kind of hit that point where I just couldn't operate anymore. Like today, I was like, I need to step yeah. out and have a smoke. I need to hold a cat <laughs> or else I'm going to throw something <laughs> at someone. So, yeah. 
And hopefully not the cat. Hopefully. I mean. And hope either way, <laughs> whether I throw them or they get something thrown at them, hopefully they are safe in this endeavor. <laughs> I think that they're going to be Exactly. Okay. They're going to be okay. Well, I hope so. Their well, biggest concern you're smiling is about other. You're smiling about talking about something about work, though. So that's that to me is well, a, an improvement. It's because I had a meeting with my boss and I've written out instructions to myself for when I come in on Monday. <laughs> So I have. That's okay. There's nothing wrong there's, with that. I have a little instruction, um, which is easing a lot of my anxiety. Well, so then you should do that more often. Then see, so well, that is obviously something that works for you. I know that that works for me, but generally my job it doesn't entail things like that. It's typically teaching, not developing. But anyhow, yeah, that's just helpful. I think though, when you can do things like that, that kind of boost, you know what you're doing and yeah. your your mood about what you're doing and whatnot so i'm really just happy it's friday michelle like i i'm yeah. i'm really my week's happy messed up so about it being friday it doesn't feel like friday to me i mean i'm happy it is too but it doesn't feel like friday to me so really because my week's my well my week was all messed up so i mean my schedule was way off and and everything is funky right now so perhaps it just feels like feels midweek to me perhaps we should talk about so. your week I mean, if it was so messed up, what now again, this is a, I mean, I don't want to say that's going to cheesy line. This is a safe space because it's really not. It's being a broad, safe space. It's being broadcast, it's being broadcast. all over the you know, not a safe space. So I don't think this counts as a safe place, but I am a safe person and I am yes, here. Yes, I know for you, you are. So Well, which is obvious that you are one of my safe people because you got the full emotional side of it. Yes, I did. As the week was unfolding. So But you needed to get that stuff out. Oh yeah. I'm still I I'm still kind of actually I'm pretty still I can't even speak. I'm still pretty messed up from all of it. But to, as I mentioned to you earlier, today is much better than yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I was completely shut down emotionally. Everything was shut down. I, I went to the gym and I felt out of place. Nothing worked for me. I didn't want to be there. I wanted to go home. And I, I sat there in the midst of it all going, there's something really wrong with me right now. And because it was, I felt that out of place. Mm. But it didn't matter where I went. I felt out of place everywhere I was. Which I think is probably a trauma response. It is. Yeah. And and I recognize that. But it didn't help. To, even to understand it didn't help me with what I was feeling in the moment. It sounds so. like your equilibrium has been shook. Well, yeah. I mean, without going into a whole lot of details, I allowed myself to be manipulated by somebody. And I'm somebody that will step in to help wherever I'm asked to help. And so I did that in good faith. I interrupted my life. And I knew that that was going to be a big interruption for three or four days. And what? You look like you were going to say something. What were you going to say? Yeah. And I want to be guarded. But you knew going in. Yes, I did. You, like, you I, know what I I'm saying? I surmised like it you, anyway. I surmised it. So what's it. interesting, and, and perhaps this is a, a topic point, but you knew going into this that the outcome was likely going to be negative based on history yes 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 but But you still went so well there's a big sense of responsibility mm -hmm. involved because it's a relationship it's a it's a it's a familial relationship Mm -hmm. and so there's a large level of responsibility on my end as to how i need to relate in that relationship 
and I keep trying and the outcome is, yes, still the same. And you would think after all these years, I would have learned that. And I have, I mean, it's not, as you said, I, I went in knowing, but because it feels like the responsible thing to do, I did it anyway. So I interrupted my life for four days, went way out of my way, not only emotionally, but logistically, geographically, way out of my way for something that I thought was my responsibility to do. And in all fairness, uh, it, it became very apparent very quickly after I got there that yes, I had been manipulated. As I had guessed, I was being manipulated. But at that point, I was there. So I said, let's just, you know, make the best of it. Let's just get through it. And uh, I almost did it. Almost did it. It was within the last hour that everything pretty much fell apart. Mm-hmm. And I got the reaction that I almost typically always get, which is deeply and emotionally upsetting to a level that I I couldn't even function. And of course, that's when I you got the polo. I literally had pulled my car to the side of the road and was shaking and unable to function. And and knowing that this situation always resolves this way, I I know already it takes me at least a couple days to get back to normal, if not longer. So is it? So I'm I'm curious because I want to word this correctly, and I want to. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I care about you. You know, I love you. I, I know support that. you. I know. But looking at this, I'm trying to think like best case scenario. But then I'm also like, you know, the source. Yeah. So let, let me let me, let me kind of go here because I think that there's something to unpack here. Are we doing you, therapy? No, I'm just asking a question. <laughs> okay, go ahead. You Sorry. know this. You knew the source. Like you know the source, and therefore the source is not some like you shouldn't care what that person thinks in the end. Because the source, the historical data shows you that sure. this is not someone that you should really be taking your sense of validation, security, self-worth sure. yes. from. Yes. Correct. Correct. However, this still has very, very much upset you. Hearing these critical mm-hmm. things being mentioned has shook, sh- shaken, shook your equilibrium. Is it because you're hoping that it would be different? Like, what I'm, is the what? What is it that shook it? I'm not like I'm not therapizing you. I'm just I'm curious. <laughs> like, what is it? Is it this hope that it would have gone better? Is it that you believe what she said? Is it that it's not the relationship you wanted? Like, what what is at the root of that? Well, to be honest, the relationship has never been what I've wanted, right. and of course, this is a lifelong relationship, so yeah. it, it has never been what I've wanted, and I. I came to an understanding long ago that it more than likely never will be. Quite a few years ago, I made a decision that I needed to love this person regardless of their their stuff. Right. Their inability to have that kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. And and so I've tried to do that. Unfortunately, as I mentioned, I have a tendency to over empathize with people and over understand what's happening inside of them. And because of that, I mean, I, you know, I make jokes about things like this. One of the, one of the, the downsides to be an empathic person is that you feel bad for assholes too. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's very much true. So I, again, I can sit and talk about these things and I can, from a psychological and emotional perspective, I can understand this person. 
not excusing their behaviors or anything, but just saying, I, I get why they're the way they are. And for so for some reason, that tends to lead me to a place where I think maybe things will change because I'm able to understand them. Maybe that'll change. So far, it has not. So far, it always devolves. It always devolves into me ending up feeling devastated. Because, hold up here, devastated. Yeah. So the devastation is not what's being said. The devastation, to some degree, to some degree, it is. Okay. Okay. But, so it, but it's it's you're hoping that it would be different, and it's kind of like you're returning to the well, like hoping yeah. for a different outcome. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, and when because you don't in get all it, honesty, it shatters you. Yeah. And it, it shatters me from a different, a couple different perspectives. Again, because I can key into other people's emotions mm-hmm. so easily, I feel all that pain that that person feels in their life about their life. And Mm -hmm. that makes me deeply sad that Mm -hmm. it feels as though I I don't know, it's a very dramatic statement. It feels as though they're, they've wasted their life with so much anger and bitterness and negativity. And that makes me very sad for them. Mm -hmm. I'm also very upset or devastated for myself personally, because I'm missing out on that relationship. Mm -hmm. And then we go to another step. And as you can tell, this is very, very difficult for me. Um, the, the final step is probably the one that at this point in my life I'm most upset about. And that is that I continue to find myself disappointed in myself for allowing it. Because you would think after all these years and the reaction being the same, the, end, the outcome ending, you know, the outcome remaining the same that I would have learned. And yet there's something inside of me that keeps saying, you have to keep trying, you have to keep trying. But, you, you know, every time, I know. And and so this is where the dichotomy of this comes in, is there's this sense of obligation and responsibility to this person. And on the other side of it, there is my need to be mentally healthy as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm trying to balance those two, and they are mutually exclusive. They, they're they not able to, to exist in the same space. Yeah, they just are not. The other. It's one yeah. or the other at this point. And there's a lot of guilt that goes along with making a determination that you have to just sever that relationship. If it were, you know, somebody that I deemed a friend, I'm using air quotes, that would be a little easier. But when it's family, that mm-hmm. is much more difficult. Oh, yeah. I have taken, I have, I have severed the connection a couple times for short periods of time. I thought maybe that might end up making a change and it seemed like maybe it was, but then it wasn't. So it's, it, it, again, it was a, it was a four day ordeal that resulted in me being completely and totally mentally and emotionally destroyed once again. And as I said, I'm doing better today than I was yesterday, but I still, I, I feel the effect, I feel the effects emotionally. I feel them mentally. I feel them physically. And, you know, we've talked about different things before, those things that make you want to just climb into a, a hole and be left alone. This is one of those things for me. I literally could be, I could literally go be by myself for a very long period of time and feel like that, that's what I want to do. That's what it feels like I want to do. Mm-hmm. So, and it's, it's, 
That's dis- that makes me disappointed in me. Not that I have that reaction, but that I keep allowing the thing that results in that reaction. So, it's like I said, it's multifaceted here as to what I feel about the situation. It depends on the perspective I'm looking at it from. So, yeah. But yeah, so kind of shitty few days. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I hear it. I mean, this yeah. is just an emotionally complex yeah. On it's complex on multiple levels when you're looking at both the relationship but then also your needs and yeah. and her needs like you're you I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I I wasn't a very nice person when I got home, although I wasn't mean. I just was detached. Right. You're emotionally um, numb. Yeah. And, and I pretty much detach from everything and everybody in that case. And so I was not careful with some of my words when I got home. And so there was some hard feelings from that with my husband and not, I don't think that I said anything wrong. I think that what I did was I didn't use the normal empathy in which I would respond to somebody. I just was very matter of fact and cold about something. And then instead of trying to fix it, I I let the anger direct me and be like, why the fuck do I have to fix everything all the time? So no, I'm not doing it. And so, yeah, it it was, so even being home yesterday was not a good day because I was still very, very emotionally detached. I've I've really tried harder today to be more involved. Um, And I felt really good this morning when I went back to my normal routine and Uh felt like, okay, I can let this start letting this go and, and just go back to what works for me. So I did feel a little better this morning, but I, it's, it's still there. It's sitting right there, obviously, because the emotion's right there. So, uh oh, what are you going to say? You're sitting there smiling like you have something to say. Nope, I can't do it. Why can't you? Engaging in your obsession, of course, is going to make you feel better. It's why <laughs> everyone loves to go to the bar at seven o'clock at night. You're upset, you know. <laughs> going back to the gym and you know returning to the trough will make you feel good. Yes, just because course. it felt normal, it felt normal. Even though yeah. I was there last night, I didn't feel better last night. I was there I last night. I I'm didn't actually feel better. surprised a little bit that going to the gym last night didn't help you. No, or at it, least it was actually very exercise. difficult. But yeah, didn't it, the exercise release some endorphins? Isn't that the whole point? No. No. no? Honestly, that was not my experience last night. My experience last night was very flat, even to the point where somebody that sees me in the gym often looked at me kind of funny and came over to me after a few minutes and said, are you all right? And I said, I said, yeah, I'm here. And he's like, yeah, but there's something missing. There's a spark or something missing. And he's like, he, he said, you, you look kind of flat. And I kind of smiled and I said, yeah, I am flat today. And I kind of wrote it off as, oh, it's a low carb day. You know, that means low energy. And, and that was true, but I don't think that was the problem. I think mm-hmm. I was just still very, very detached uh, and not willing because I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but you kind of go through the motions of everything and you kind of feel like you're kind of existing like underwater almost feel. It feels very, everything doesn't feel like it's moving correctly. Depersonalization. It's very, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. And it's a very strange space. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say this. I had a a unique experience on Wednesday before I started coming home. Of course, you know, I got to sit with PK Langley 
who's somebody that we both know. I know you're jealous. She told me me you were jealous. But of course, you know, I've known PK through Facebook for years and had had set this up prior to going like, hey, I'm going to be in your area. Do you think we could have lunch together? And so we agreed to have lunch. So of course, now here I am at an emotionally distressed level and I'm still meeting with her because I that was my opportunity and I, I didn't want to let the opportunity go. But at the same time, I knew I wasn't in a good space. So it ended up being almost a therapy session. God bless her. <laughs> but she had me try something called, and I don't have the what the initial stand for right now. It's BAUD, B-A-U-D. Actually, okay. I'm going to look at it real quick because in her message to me later, she sent me some details on it. I want to see what it stands for because I sent it to my daughter as well. God, she sent me a whole bunch of messages. <laughs> Bioacoustical utilization device. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read you this thing. It's a it's an FDA approved handheld biofeedback device. Oh, biofeedback. That's a specialized treatment for addiction, as well as attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, post traumatic stress disorder, and chronic pain syndrome. So it uses sound frequencies, and you you put these headphones on, but. I do have issues with PTSD, and she actually confirmed that for me, um, complex PTSD. I don't think you needed. I mean, I'm happy you got PK's, you know, diagnosis of that, but I could have given (laughs) that to you as well. I know. And and I know it myself because I'm the one that actually said to her, I really feel like this is maybe a part of my experience. And she said to me later, she goes, it absolutely is a part of your experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, but this device is actually FDA approved to actually treat PTSD. Through frequency. And so I don't know if that sense of detachment came from that as well. That might have been a part of it as well. Then you'd have to do, we'd have to do more research into the device. And I actually want to, but I feel like maybe that might have had an effect as well. I just don't know. I I tend to believe maybe the trauma of the experience was the biggest contributor. Yeah. But it's, it's possible that that had some relevance to the discussion as well. But anyway, this has been a really long mental minute. Let's just make this the episode. Oh, God. No, we said we were going to talk about obsessive compulsive disorder. (laughs) Unless we're going to use the perspective that I can't keep doing the same damn thing over and over. Well, that does lead. (laughs) It does segue Eh, into. Well, kind of. It's not an obsession for me. I definitely feel compulsive about it. Like when it's brought up, I feel like I have to. So, yeah. I guess you can look at it from that perspective, but well, let's let's look at what the DSM says about yes, obsessive compulsive that. disorder. It reports right. that obsessive compulsive disorder is comprised mm-hmm. of two primary things: um, recurrent and persistent thoughts, urges, or impulses that are experienced at some time during the disturbance as intrusive and unwanted and that in most individuals cause marked anxiety or distress. Right. And then the second is where the individual attempts to ignore or suppress such thoughts, urges, or images to neutralize them with some other thought or action, i.e. by performing a compulsion, which is what you were just talking about. So what do you think about OCD? I I think that a lot of people assume they have some form of OCD. You know, Mm -hmm. I think it's become, and I hesitate to use this word, but I think it's become normalized to the point that people pick up certain aspects of what's involved with, with the disorder and they project that onto themselves without it actually being a diagnosable thing for them. Right. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. 
they're owning portions of it, I think. I, I think that we have to, again, differentiate between an actual diagnosable disorder and somebody who's struggling with symptoms that may fall on the spectrum of that disorder. Right. And so I think, like I said, it's become normalized to the point where a lot of people will recognize certain tenets of the disorder within their own physiology and say, oh, that must be me, when they're probably really not at a diagnosable mm-hmm. level. Right. Um, as, I, as we mentioned last week, I, some of the things I said, I lift my fingernails. I have to do each one. If I start, I have to do them all, and I have to reverse that And when I'm done. I don't sit around and think about having to do that. It's just when the situation arises. So I don't think that's diagnosable. But I, I do think, think so it either. falls somewhere on the spectrum. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think we all... There's a difference here between obsessive-compulsive disorder... Right. And obsessive-compulsive behavior. Behavior, yes. You can and I would have obsessive-compulsive behaviors without having right. the disorder. Uh, when we're looking right. at the disorder, it, it, that's when it's causing marked, significant difficulties. It's creating... Right problems, issues to the point that you're not able to function. And I don't want to say normally, regularly. (laughs) Regularly. So yeah. But like when we look at obsessive compulsive behaviors, we're really looking at things involving repetition. And and I'm thinking like right now in the day of COVID, what's happening with all that? uh, Hand washing. All the the hand washing with the, (laughs) I mean, I'm really blanking. What do we put on our hand? The disinfectant. Not soap. (laughs) They're not, it's, they're disinfectant. Hand sanitizer. Hand sanitizer. They're yes. passing around everywhere. Like yeah. that can become a repetitive behavior, yeah. which can fall in line with obsessive compulsive disorder. But just because you're washing your hands a lot because we're in the midst of a pandemic does not mean that you have OCD. Right. And it also, I mean, again, because that would fall in with uh, a phobia as well. Correct. I mean, some people have a phobia with germs. And so hand washing is essential in that. But so is not is not obsessive compulsive behaviors a way of result of like handling some sort of fear sure. like germophobia sure. because yes. of their fear of ger- because of their germophobia they right. obsess are comp- yes they're compelled yeah. Well, again, so all of this is so interwoven, as we've already discussed before, and, and you know, everything crosses over. And so, again, that's why we have to make that distinction between those behaviors that may indicate a direction towards a disorder and the actual disorder itself. And again, you've already mentioned it, but the idea of it being something that interrupts what would be the, as you you know, I, I don't want to use the word normal either, but yeah, your, regular. your regular way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, uh, when I was doing some reading on OCD, the one thing that I came across, and again, so much of this comes back to brain science, and there's some indications that OCD involves problems in communication in your brain, yes, um, from the front part of your brain to the deeper structures, and that it's also associated with a lack of serotonin, possibly. So I found that really interesting because I have just had a discussion when I was discussing certain things with uh, PK Langley. We were talking about serotonin releases and chemical releases in the brain. So there's a lot of things that are associated with our brain chemicals that we wouldn't necessarily think have anything to do with, you know, a disorder that manifests itself in the very physical. If I have to do a certain behavior so many times to feel better, it doesn't occur to us that there's a brain process or a brain chemical process that may be lacking inside. Mm-hmm. Same thing with depression. Serotonin problems with de- are prevalent in depression as well. 
Oh, I mean, so. that's literally pretty much what an antidepressant is. Right, exactly. An antidepressant attacks the neurotransmitters that release serotonin right. so that you have more ser- it blocks them so that you have more serotonin in your brain at right. a given time because serotonin is the chemical that makes you feel happy. Right. Right. And so. it affects the receptors in the cells and and yeah. there's so, so there's a lot of really interesting things that go into this as it pertains to brain chemistry and I kind of I kind of love that stuff. So mm-hmm. the more I've was reached I kind of went off on a rabbit trail and looking at that, but I thought that was very interesting. So you know, a lot of times for OCD there are, there are medicines that involve serotonin mm-hmm. that are used as treatment along with cognitive behavioral therapy, which is of course probably the best well-known treatment right. for OCD. I mean, uh, or and for a lot of things, quite honestly, it's the um, hallmark of it. Therapy. Really is <laughs> cognitive behavior. You have to therapy. understand that term. <laughs> I don't know a single therapist. I don't know a single person licensed who does not say that they use uh, CBT in their practice. Right. I don't. Right. I don't know anybody. Yeah. They all do. Well, I mean, there's a reason it is effective for the most part. Yes. If if the person that's undergoing the treatment is willing, that's the key. Um, of course, that has that has to be the biggest indicator. I, I okay. So I'm just <laughs> gonna own it. I historically <laughs> have refused. Well, I have found that CBT doesn't work for me. Now, okay. either it's because I'm too lazy and I don't actually want to invest and make the changes, as you just stated, which is possible but i have always used the excuse of my tbi uh because my brain doesn't necessarily compute things the same way as other people that may may very well be valid right and you would never actually know like most people you would never look at me and well if you got to know me you might but if you never look (laughs) at me and think oh that person definitely has a tbi because there's no there's no no outward indicators correct um, but I've always kind of used that because I, I really do have a hard time connecting with therapists who primarily use that, uh, that treatment approach. But right. when we're talking about obsessive compulsive disorder, cognitive behavioral therapy truly can be helpful because it's rooted in helping you identify thought patterns. Right. That, and interrupt them. And interrupt them. It's, it's literally what yeah. the Apostle Paul taught in the Bible, right? We're going to yeah. catch those, those negative, horrible thoughts and we're going to give them, them to Jesus. Captive. We're gonna right. Take them all captive. Take them. Take them captive. And that's really what CBT is about. And I think it can be very helpful um, at really looking at OCD thought patterns and like when they happen and why they happen and are there specific triggers and all of, all, all of that. But in talking about OCD... I mean, I think that it's primarily comprised of obsessions and compulsions. Right. So let's unpack those. What the hell is a compulsion, Michelle? (laughs) Gosh, a compulsion, it's an attempt by the person to like suppress a thought or an impulse and to neutralize it basically with some other kind of thought or action. You're, You're looking for a decrease in the anxiety that you feel from something. You're trying to find a scapegoat, if you will, for that thought or that feeling, you're trying to find something that alleviates it. So and you can't, you, and you have to do it to get that, to get it to be alleviated. So well, really, I said that very awkwardly. <laughs> you no, know, I'm, I'm going to summarize it. I, okay. I, mean, I think that what you said is, is great, but really we're looking at behaviors that are, are aimed at, 
at preventing or reducing distress. So, right. And so like, so it's not, as you mentioned earlier, it's like hand washing or, right. you know. There's, see, this is the key though. It's not the behavior is what the person is doing to compensate for right. something else. You know, right. oftentimes we focus so much on the behaviors, but really the root of those mm-hmm. behaviors is typically some type of fear of right. of something. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's a sense of um, intrusion mm-hmm. that is at the base of it. Like your your normal, again, that word, uh, your normal thoughts, I know, your normal thoughts or ideas are interrupted basically by something that's intrusive in nature. It's not something you're looking for. It's something that insinuates itself and doesn't go away. So, I mean, if we get right down to it, it's the obsession. The obsession is something that's persistent and intrusive. It's inappropriate and it causes marked anxiety or distress. Well, inappropriate? (laughs) What are you talking about? Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what an example of that would be. I mean, everybody's obsessive stuff is different. Mm -hmm. You know, we tend to organize it all together in a category but you know obsessive things can be anything right but not being being obsessed with alcohol doesn't make you ocd no but it might cause you to have a problem with addiction perhaps (laughs) Perhaps. again there's so much crossover (laughs) so let's let's create some actual examples here so for okay that are related to OCD. Cleaning, for example. <laughs> yes. To reduce the germs and the dirt right. or the chemicals, which is due right. to some fear that, you know, you're going to die. Exactly. Because of some So the of... obsession there is the fear of death. Yeah. Right. In that example, the compulsion is the cleaning because that's what helps alleviate the fear of that death. Mm-hmm. Through some kind of germ or whatever the reason may be. Yeah. Again, same thing if we were to talk about Fear of death because of heart disease. You might overexercise. Exercise is the compulsion, but the fear of death is still the obsession. Right. It's at the root. Right. More examples. Repeating things, mm-hmm. which now that kind of gets into like ticks, you know. It does. But really, you know, some people may utter something, a phrase, or, or repeat something several times as a way of helping them dispel anxiety. And that's kind of the, that's the only thing that helps them. Okay. Can I interject here? Yes, of course you can. No. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to offer a suggestion or I'm going to offer an example that falls within the Christian realm. Yes, please. (laughs) I'm going to piss off some people. (laughs) Is it? um, Okay. Before you go there, I want to guess. Okay. Okay. So (laughs) praying. Okay. Okay. Sure. Praying a lot. The Catholic Church, with a lot of their Hail Mary, ritualistic, and yeah, ritualistic, the ritualistic shit. Stuff. Yes, yes. But that's not okay. I didn't, I didn't hit it because I didn't see the light bulb but, go off. What are you thinking? No, I'm thinking of all the times in my life when I felt anxiety or fear over something that it must have been the devil, and so rebuking the devil in the name of Jesus. <laughs> the phrases that you use over and over as a as a way to dispel that fear. 
I rebuke you, Satan. Now, we could argue all day long as to whether that's actually spiritually effective or not. And I'm not going to go there because I have no way of proving that it's spiritually effective. I only... I only bring that up because I know that, that that's almost a talisman. I mean, it's almost, you know, it, it's, it's, again, it's a ritual that we do to alleviate that distress that we're feeling that's based on fear of the demonic or the spiritual realm or whatever. So I just find it kind of interesting because, I, you know, people use those words as though there's some power. magic incantation. There's power, power in the involved. blood. There's power in the blood. <laughs> Have you ever been rebuked on Facebook, though, in the name of Jesus? No, I have not. <laughs> like, oh, my God, that's happened to me. And I literally have to laugh every time. I'm like, you know, that didn't work, right? <laughs> do, do you feel better at least? Because that didn't work. <laughs> so, again, there, there's all these little things, you know, that we, we typically do that try to alleviate these feelings of anxiety or distress. See, and what's of course, so sad is that those people rebuking Satan... The only reason that they do it and it becomes an obsession and or it becomes a compulsion is because that's what they've been taught. And it's yes, interesting it's that what you've been yeah. taught can result in that it isn't something necessarily sure. inherent. It can be it can come from an outside source like that where you're taught something to the point to where it causes you to have compulsions. Yeah. But I cut you well, off. Well, I mean, no, that's right. You brought up the Catholic Church a few minutes ago. I don't know why this is associated in my mind with the Catholic Catholic Church, and I may be wrong, but there are people that actually self-flagellate mm -hmm. because of an obsession with sin and hell. They self-flagellate or they beat themselves and bloody themselves in an attempt to feel better from this fear of hell or this fear of sin. If I understand it correctly, I'm willing to give that caveat. No, so I like so I have to back up because I said something incorrect in the last episode. Uh oh, I did. Okay, I did. Okay, what and did you I, say? I looked in the DSM. I did a little research, and I am wrong. Uh, I, about well, in the last episode, I you brought up self self harming behaviors. Yes. Um, in relation to body dysmorphia and in relationship to right. OCD, and I kind of pushed back on that, stating that I kind of view them in different realms and and the truth of the matter is they can cross over in, in mm -hmm. fact oftentimes uh, self-harming behaviors which by the way you used a word to describe it in the last episode i did not a fan of but cutting i know oh, I can't believe you said <laughs> uh, yes but, i'm sorry it's a commonly known term and if we're talking to people that are you know we're trying to explain I, these things to things you have to use terminology that they've heard right and can i push back on why i don't like that sure absolutely because when we mention it as quote unquote cutting, what often then can be attributed is that, that person's a cutter. I've literally seen that okay. in clinical documentation before and nearly lost it. It is it completely So you're you're worried about the identity versus the behavior. Correct. Well, I I'm if we overuse it to the point, I don't trust people right. to read between the lines. And I don't want, I get that. and I don't want people being categorically judged and put into departments. I get that with pejorative. One hundred percent. So I just don't like I one hundred percent agree with that. But it is I, the because action. It's basically it's like, labeling. Yeah. Correct. And uh, it's basically labeling, and depending on the person's definition of a label, we end up dismissing people because we don't agree with the label rather right. than seeing the person for who they are and their behavior for what it is. Mm -hmm. So I do understand that. I've just, I use the word cutting because that is something that's very common for people to understand 
for self-harm. Oh, absolutely. Um, which is the behavior that we were describing, self-harm. I just, I just so don't. again, in this in this conversation that I just brought up, the self-flagellation that that and for whatever reason I've seen it with some kind of whip or something hitting You're your back. You're saying self-flagellation. Do you know how many times I've heard conflagellation in my life? Can you please tell me what that means? I have two master's Flagell- degrees. Uh, Help me. What what conflagellation? God, I don't know. <laughs> Self-flagellation is basically hurting yourself, self-harm. Okay. It's, I don't know. I'll look it up for you just so that you're talking about it in relationship to religion. So it's honestly what they're doing is almost a religious practice. It's what they do. It's like in a way they're, that's getting into like the Da Vinci Code stuff. Well, it does because, and again, that's probably why it comes to me from a Catholic perspective mm-hmm. is because uh, synonyms for it include absolution, atonement, contrition, forgiveness, penitence, so it is remorse, related. repentance, so retribution. So that's specifically related to religion, almost religion, more so. Yes. And it sounds like that's really, yes. in a way, almost more to religion than even self-harming behaviors. Granted, that's what they're doing, but it's... They're doing it with the purpose of yeah Jesus. Or and if God you look, if you look at, if you just Google this or whatever, like I just did, it's it's to hit yourself with a whip as punishment or as part of a religious ritual. Yeah. So that's what self-flagellation. So we got is. to you this to OCD. Yourself. You you got there from OCD. <laughs> so let's. I want to hear a little bit more hey, I, I, from you on I, this. I'm just saying that they these are people that have some fear of sin or or death or hell. And they're so they're doing this in an attempt to alleviate that fear, to feel as though they've paid that penance mm-hmm. so that they can avoid that that fear that they have, you know. And and so to me it makes sense for OCD. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like they're doing it as a compulsion. Yeah, no, I it totally the behavior fits. is compulsive. It's not where my brain would have immediately gone to. I would go to <laughs> oh, good, like, and I'm the one that's warped. <laughs> thinking like checking on things constantly, you know, making sure the doors locked. Well, that's hypervigilism. Hypervigilism. Well, but that's that's also an OCD behavior. I also it is. Uh, it is one that I have actually. Is it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, the yep. fingernails and the hypervigilism. However, again. Going back to the idea that these things can cross over, hypervigilism is also associated with PTSD. Yes, it is. So that's probably where mine comes from more so than OCD. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't believe I have OCD. I believe I have some behaviors that may look like that. But well, When you mentioned that you move your fingernails, it kind of freaked me out. I chew mine and you, you push yours out and up and stuff. And I don't understand that. But... <laughs> Well, it's not your compulsion. <laughs> you are correct. It is not. Uh, I also think of, you know, people who are constantly, they have to do things multiple, like in sets of three, uh, multiple yes. times. Yeah. Right. They have to turn the doorknob three times. So they have to, you know, shut open and shut the door three yep. times, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have to do things certain numbers of times, but I do have to check every door and window before I go to bed at night. That, that's hypervigilism, though. So, mm-hmm. I think I don't have many <laughs> other than chewing my fingernails. Really, I don't. I don't think I'm very compulsive. I have the fingernail thing. I will say this: I do have to fix rugs and pictures on the wall. I cannot let them be askew in any, even to the smallest degree. Drives me crazy. That's called. That's called. Being modern. Welcome to the welcome to twenty twenty. That's not I guess I suppose. Okay, I'll, that's I'll an go OCD you one more. I'll, I'll out myself on one more. Okay. And this one this one's difficult because 
nobody cleans up after themselves in the gym if the weights are not put according to How the denominations to i have to fix them <laughs> can't stand it they have to be fixed But I'm a very ordered person, so I tend to relate it to that. Right. And then I don't so know that it's causing I. great amounts of upheaval in my life or anything. I mean in the moment I don't like it. I can't handle a picture being on the wall that isn't straight. I mean Yeah, it's see my annoying. diplomas right now? They have to be a specific way. But I don't Exactly. I guess that is O C D behavior. I just I just uh, consider that being professional. Like, you know, I have standards. <laughs> I don't understand standards. <laughs> well, all right. So let's go back to this. So what are some of the risk factors for OCD? What do you mean by risk factor? Things that maybe contribute to that sense. Something like, okay, so I'll start with one. Um, well, the, there actually are risk factors. There, there are listed risk factors, genetics being one of them. Yes, clearly. And brain structure, brain functioning, possibly your environment. I think about this, uh, I know that, as I've mentioned before, my grandmother was incredibly overbearing with how things had to be done in her house, which created for me a set of tasks that I had to do to ensure that she was going to be okay. And I find myself still doing those tasks now. So that would be environmental. I don't think it's genetic because it's not actually coming through the DNA, but it would be environmental uh, in that, that those behaviors have persisted even though she's no longer there. Because it's been ingrained. I'm, again, it's conditioning. So I guess we could look at it from that perspective. What about gender? Well, they actually say that it's typically an earlier onset with boys mm -hmm. than it is with girls. But typically, you're usually diagnosed by about age 19. Really? Yeah. Well, that's what I read anyway. <laughs> I don't know anybody that's been diagnosed. I actually know a couple people. But I don't know their di their actual diagnosis, and I don't know when it you know when the genesis of that diagnosis was. So, um, but it, it go the research that I that I read went on to say the onset of OCD symptoms actually does happen after age thirty five. It can happen then; it's just less likely. Right. Typically, something that happens younger. It's your the thoughts are the thought processes and brains already developed. Right. It's already yeah. Right, so. and then. Kind of looking at gender uh, from some of the things I found, men typically are more geared towards uh, obsessions like addictions, things of that nature, whereas mm -hmm. women right. lean more towards things like contamination and cleaning and things of that nature. Yeah. How funny is that? Because it kind of pertains to gender roles at almost. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if there's any correlation to study in studies related to gender roles. I would assume so. I mean, Sounds you have like to look it. at, we are, we are the product of our experiences. We need to look at things sure. from a comprehensive level. And the level. expectations of society. Right. So. There's, you know, everything affects one another. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What about, uh, what about personality? I think that would play a part. I mean, I don't, I don't have any researched or educated information on that, but I feel like that would play a part. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if you're very neurotic, you might lean more towards. Uh, is that, isn't that subjective though? I mean, what defines neurotic? I mean, neurotic is kind of nebulous in, in how we're presenting it. So I suppose. Because I, I think it, there's a lot of things that probably fall under that, mm -hmm. that category. Whereas personality, I can see like I myself am a very structured, task oriented person. 
So I have a task list and that task list is maintained on a daily basis. And I'm very picky about that task list. So I can see that that side to my personality probably playing into having some kind of compulsion or obsession with, you know, tendencies there. I don't know, but I would, I would think that possibly that would be the case. Mm-hmm. You so. mentioned a few minutes ago about um, hypervigilance right. and related that to PTSD. And I would just note that I think having, which again, I, this is not research-based. This is my personal, it's my right. personal opinion and my personal experience. But I would say that trauma play can play a significant role when looking at OCD behaviors. Now, not to suggest that they're all so. going to get an uh, obsessive compulsive disorder diagnosis, right. but right. I think when you're looking at things like hypervigilance, those types of constantly needing to make sure everyone's safe, to make sure that you're going to be okay, like all of that typically stems from PTSD. So I think that that is a risk factor here Possible. and, and yeah. plays into each other. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I think I would agree with that. Again, that's subjective. I mean, that's, you know, us and our experience, but I can see how that would be true. Okay. So let's go on here. Let's talk about diagnosis. Now you tell me, cause you're the one that is working in the field. How, how does one diagnose OCD? It's the repetitive persistent behaviors that are one deeply rooted Mm-hmm. deeply rooted to the point that no matter what they do, it doesn't get better. It doesn't actually alleviate right. the anxiety to the point that it creates significant dysfunction in life. Right. A lot of people present with OCD behaviors, but that doesn't, I mean, it, it has to be to the point to where you are failing at all attempts and it's disrupting your life. Right. Like it has to be significant. uh, The DSM, actually, I'm going to read this. uh, Recurrent and persistent thoughts, urges, or images that are experienced at some time during the disturbance as intrusive and inappropriate and that cause marked anxiety and distress. Person attempts to suppress or ignore such thoughts, thoughts, impulses, or images, or to neutralize them in some other thought or action. So it's kind of what we've said already. Right. I'm sorry. Bye. I, well, I, um, by performing a compulsion, I read this diagnosis right. at the beginning of this episode. So yeah. 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 But it's good to hear again. So what I, what we can see here, especially on the second point is that even though the individual attempts to ignore or suppress such thoughts, urges, or images, or to neutralize them with some other thought or action, they're not successful. The only way that they are successful right. at suppressing that is this compulsion, is the OCD behavior. The behavior itself is literally the tool by which they're using to feel okay. Right. Right. Now, it, I think what's interesting is that there are different types of OCD. Yes, there are. Or different expressions, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. of OCD. I'm not sure what they mean by checking. I guess maybe that's the hypervigilism. That would be my guess, but I don't know. Do you? What do you think that means? When, with checking? It's, yeah. It's about reducing the fear of harming oneself or others. So like the constant oh, okay. checking of the door, the constant checking to make sure the stove is turned off. So hypervigilism. Correct. Because you're, you're overly cautious about everything. Yes. Then there's contamination which we mm-hmm. kind of talked about a little bit ago with the germophobic behavior and things yep. like that, constantly washing your hands. We talked about this one too, symmetry or ordering. 
that's the pictures on the wall. That's straightening the fringe on the rug. That's, you know, all of those things have to be precise. And then ruminations or intrusive thoughts. Again, that I would liken back to maybe our discussion on the, the whole self-flagellation, the, the religious aspect of that. I would put that there. And then maybe hoarding is considered obsessive compulsive as well. However, it's also its own diagnosis. It is, yeah. <laughs> I was so, just going to say I was going to say, I mean, like, <laughs> again, OCD behaviors that are yeah. specialized in something right. specific result in its own specific diagnosis. Yeah, I I can't ever see myself serious. being a hoarder. I mean, honestly, I I I cannot. I'm well. Thank goodness for you, Michelle. I, I know. I bet that makes <laughs> our listeners who have a diagnosis of hoarding feel very comfortable. Oh well, I'm so sorry. So I just don't understand it. Well, I didn't mean it like that. Uh, I just meant that I I don't have any understanding of that. I don't have that compulsion. So to me, I I don't. It doesn't make sense. But then the same could be said for a compulsion that I have that they don't and wouldn't understand. So it certainly wasn't meant as a slight at all. I'm just giving you a hard time because it's funny. I know you are. I know you are. So let's talk about treatments. Okay. Well, I mean, we've, we've already, already talked about yeah. CBT, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. We know that CBT has been very, very um, helpful. And so let's just even step back from that, though. Therapy. <laughs> yeah. So talking to a counselor is very helpful. And then, yeah. you know, a type of CBT, so a type of cognitive behavioral therapy, which is called exposure and response prevention or exposure therapy, hmm. has been okay. proven to be very helpful. Now, I, I think that that treatment, it needs to be done right and it needs to be done in a safe environment. Yeah, I would think. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it can actually be helpful in this area. If you're really ready right. to tackle it, because what exposure therapy really is all about is slowly introducing you to the thing by which you're fearful. Yeah, I know. And I literally, when you said it, I felt myself get a little. I know I saw I it. felt a lot of anxiety crawl up my spine. Yeah, I saw it. Because, <laughs> I mean, nobody wants to think about being, you know, put in close proximity with a thing that they're anxious about or scared of. I mean, so, yeah, that kind of therapy seems terribly frightening to me but that's me <laughs> it makes me nervous thinking about it so they think about like um, you know like someone who's dealing with claustrophobia getting them oh to my like, god getting them to like lay in a coffin with the thing closed to no see what happens no 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 i think no, i've now, seen that see, on a tv show or, or two probably fear factor or something yeah. like that joe rogan probably did or something. what has joe rogan not done <laughs> i understand and completely agree I think one of the other things I saw in there is somebody sitting in a box and being had bugs dumped over them or snakes or something. I'm like, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> Why would you allow that? It helps. So that is not what fear. we're talking about. No, that is not what we're talking about because that is not in safe. That's not safe at all. That's not. That's not general or you know gentle. Right. Uh, so please gently pulling somebody into that <laughs> when we're talking about one we're cracking a joke and two yes. <laughs> i would encourage uh one please choose a licensed counselor yes, or li- licensed clinical social worker in a safe place in a safe environment yeah i would not, not <laughs> and i would not recommend you do that telehealth just no. throwing that out now this needs to be yeah. done uh, in person and uh, yep. this is one of those treatments like um, EMDR. 
eye movement desensitization. Oh, okay. Like that yes. needs to be done in person. Uh, yes. So should exposure therapy. Uh, so don't yeah. don't believe anyone that wants to offer you that telehealth. Say no. <laughs> Interestingly enough, uh, as I had mentioned earlier, the the device that I mentioned earlier, the BAUD, the BOD, the whole idea behind that is creating a different frequency within your brain that allows for you to work back through troublesome memories or, you know, addictive issues, things like that. And what it's actually doing is helping you to create new neural pathways within your mm-hmm. brain because addictions and post-traumatic stress and all that is indicative of you being stuck within a certain neural pathway and not having a different way to to work out something. So this is actually beneficial in helping create new new neural pathways with which then allow you to confront these issues from literally a different way of thinking about them. So it seems to me as though that's something that might be beneficial, like for a lot of things that aren't even mentioned in conjunction with it yet. And so possibly even maybe this, as you're, as you're talking about any kind of therapy that would interrupt that process of the obsession, that seems to make sense to me. Now, I don't know enough about the device yet. I, as I said, I want to do some more research on it, but it seems to me as that's what that's trying to do. It's disrupting the normal thought patterns mm-hmm. uh, in an effort to help you create new ways of dealing with something. So, or desensitizing it. Sounds at the promising. Very least. I think so. I, I Like I said, I'm I thought- I'm curious was, how much that thing costs. Uh, the one that she had, I think she told me it was about $500. Yeah, that's what I expected. Yeah, but it was very interesting. Uh, she had me use a headphone, and basically you are putting frequencies in both your ears. It's very loud. I mean, you you control how loud you want it. But it's a very the sound is very disorienting at first. You get that turned up, and then there's another knob you turn, and I can't remember the terminology, so again, I need to research it some more. But that one, when you turn it up, you turn it up to where it begins to feel uncomfortable in some way. And for me, that manifested with I became nauseous Hmm. from the sound. And and then as soon as I did that, there's another knob that you turn to mitigate that to some level. But you just want to take it just below that discomfort. And then you do this for a period of time. It was very interesting when I got done. She asked me, she said, how do you feel? And I said, I said, everything feels very weird. Everything feels as though it's like underwater. It sounds like it's underwater. And she's like, do you still hear the frequency noise? And I said, yeah. She goes, that's going to lessen over time. And she goes, and what's interesting is the the more often you use it, the more you find yourself less anxious about things hmm. in her experience, if I, as, if I understood her correctly. But again, it, it can take some period of time. And she said the first time she used it, she didn't really feel anything. But then she noticed later as she was driving in the car that she was not as hypervigilant as she normally is. She noticed there was a difference. So as I said, I find it very fascinating. I'm very interested in learning more about it. Yeah. But yeah, the cost is a little bit yeah. prohibitive. Out of my people. price range. But uh, <laughs> yeah, for those who can afford it, I think that sounds like a great option. Yeah. But again, that may be something else that needs to be used in conjunction with a therapist, maybe yeah. in person. I don't know that you should be fooling around with yeah. it on your own, pumping up frequencies in your head. I don't know. I mean, I don't know anything about this device, but I would yeah, very I much encourage you, if you were to purchase this, to please do this under the care of a licensed clinician yeah. who's actually helping you process this stuff and not right. throwing your brain up into whack and then not knowing what's happening and no guidance. <laughs> not going to encourage that. Please, if yeah. you were to do something like this, do it under the care of a licensed clinician. Yeah, anything like that, I think it's probably that's the safer avenue. Well, um, I'm assuming for, that for as it. you do this, there's an actual like process 
that you need to then start talking about things so. and actually like in order to really benefit from think. the device, if they're going to develop new neural pathways in your brain, there's right. probably certain things you should be talking about and processing in order to make that happen. And right. who knows what could happen if you don't do that. So yeah. And that's with having not done any research on it. So other than hearing Michelle <laughs> Well, as I said, I find it, yeah, I find it fascinating. I'm going to do some more uh, research on it because I just found it fat. But anything dealing with the brain, and I have a very big interest in frequencies. I told her I started laughing. I said, oh, my gosh, I used to study frequencies several years ago. I, I'm fascinated by that from a religious and spiritual realm perspective. Mm-hmm. So I was already fascinated with the subject matter, which is why she brought it up. And then she was very kind. She's like, I know you need to leave soon, but if you have time, would you come back to my house and I'll let you try this and we can talk about it. And I was like, sure, you know, if, as long as you're okay with it. So we tried. So it was a very interesting experience that, I, like I said, I, it brought up more interest for me. So something I want to look at. But anyway, I just thought possibly here that might fit mm-hmm. at some point. I don't think that was listed in... No. In its literature, but because no. that's got to be a new like device, it it's got to be new. Yeah. And I'm surprised. Well, it, is F- it is FDA approved, so it is something that has been around, and they've done some work with it at the very least. So that's that's true. That's yeah. Anywho, I think we've unpacked that. We've unpacked OCD. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. We fixed it, and we're fixed <laughs> now too. <you> know. <laughs> God, if only it worked that way. <laughs> Michelle, what are you doing tonight when you get off this episode? I'm going to the gym. Ah, <laughs> there it is. Oh, you already knew that though, because I haven't gone is. yet. I mean, I went go this morning. Twice but a I day. Yeah, and I know yeah. there's a valid reason, but it's still fun to make fun of you. So I know. Uh, kind of just you throw just this out there. If you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free. I always say feel free. No, I don't want you to feel free. I want you to pay us. Please join our Patreon. <laughs> go to patreon.com backslash mental podcast you can support us uh with that will come bonus content we also have a facebook group honestly michelle for someone who has some experience like monitoring facebook groups Mm -hmm. like can we get mental facebook going can we like do something i'll try and throw it into because i I hate we advertise for this facebook group but no one talks in there and it's well, boring. we should probably advertise the group on Facebook, perhaps, and get people because maybe that is how you lead people to the podcast is get them involved in that group and in discussion, and then right, you know, instead of I think we we tend to go to the podcast and expect that to bleed over into other things. Maybe there needs to be some reverse marketing, so to and speak. I know that Instagram's <laughs> really big with a lot of podcasts, but I can't do Instagram, so that fell to the wayside. But well, we do have there is I an do Instagram. Instagram, but I'm limited. So yeah. So anyways, we have a Facebook group. It's kind of dead right now, but we join it. Uh, maybe you can make it live. We would we would very much appreciate <laughs> that. And also, please leave us a five star review. I, I'm at this point. It, we it helps us. It helps us. Yes, it does. So yeah. And you did not mention the Marco Polo group. Our Patreons have a special Marco Polo group. If you are unfamiliar with what Marco Polo is, as I was for a long time, uh, check it out. I actually love it. It's like video texting, and I really prefer it. I don't have to sit there and type out a bunch of shit. I just get to talk into the camera and deliver the message, and people read it or listen to it at their leisure. Mm-hmm. And if you're all on at the same time, you can sit and have know, a whole conversation. Polo back and forth. Yeah, you can have a whole conversation. Uh, but I just, again, introverted personality i'm very much for the things that allow me to just respond at my own on my own time frame and not worry about control control. i know it so is (laughs) 
<laughs> anyway, thank you all for joining us today. We'll be back next week, and we are going to be talking about another comorbid associated disorder that goes along with body dysmorphia. I'm not sure what it's going to be yet. I don't think Seth is either. We haven't fully discussed I was that actually yet, really so. curious because you led into that, and I was like, oh, you know? Okay, well, I've, oh, I'm well, going to sit think, back okay, and listen. If, if, you, if you want my opinion, I think we should work on eating disorders. I knew that was your reaction. Next was week, get, we're going to talk about <laughs> eating disorders, everyone. Please buckle up. It's going to be a great episode. <laughs> and we're out. <laughs>